Welcome. You're listening to a new podcast produced by Ixi Labs. The brand new Ixi Labs is a free public research project investigating the future of private life, particularly focusing on how artificial intelligence and technology in general are changing the most intimate areas of our lives. We will be discussing language, body, friendship, intellectual freedom, sex, religion, children, and more. With me are my Ixi Labs co-founders, AI and science artist, Crystal Ding. Hello, everybody. Super excited to be launching the Ixi Lab series. And applied economist, behavior specialist, Peter Istin. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. So Ixi Labs is an independent research platform run by an ideologically diverse multidisciplinary team. Our mission is to probe concepts and ask all the uncomfortable questions that are necessary if we want to build a more humane, more open and more accepting future together. I think it's good to mention we originally started ICSI Labs as the research platform of the ICSI app. The ICSI app is an AI-enhanced messaging app for happier relationships. If you're interested, you can visit getixi.com and hop on the waiting list to try soon. Ever since late 2016, we've been running research projects to understand How can we help people better communicate with their most private relationships through the ICSI app? Uh, but after a while, it became clear that there are some broader questions here worth investigating, things a bit beyond just person-to-person communication. And that's when we said, okay, guys, let's kind of go beyond it. Let's move beyond the app. Let's start ICSI Labs with a completely separate team. Um, and let's embark on the many questions around private life that are not necessarily related to, to messaging. I think everybody alive and online today understands that there is this huge shift in how we live, how we think, how we exchange ideas, and what our ideas and plans are as people. We are full of questions. Will our knowledge, our traditions, our democracy, even our morality be valid in the near future? Will we face completely new challenges no humans have ever before had to face? How will we cope with all this? Where will our guerrillas come from when no one knows what's happening? So essentially, ICSI Labs zooms in on this unique era we live in when digitized relationships, risky public discourse and growing moderation by algorithms are pushing us to rethink. What does it mean to live, act and speak as humans in the time of AI? Before the algorithms decide for us. And just to be clear, while the three of us uh, come together from linguistics, economics, technology, philosophy and art, We don't for a minute want to pretend that we know everything about the many variables and resulting probabilities that will determine how the future will turn out to be. Instead, we kind of think we will just poke some of the more divisive topics around the future of human personal life with the help of experts from a variety of countries and disciplines. And I think it cannot be emphasized enough that XT Labs is a politically diverse initiative. The three of us come together from very different politics as well as parts of the world. Uh, we think this is an absolute must if we want to discuss complicated issues in a balanced way and include as many people in the conversation as possible. Yes, as I like to say, our core team uh, has a centrist, a conservative and a progressive in it. And if you're listening and you think you know who is which, tweet us your guesses. To help navigate our topics and viewpoints, we decided to structure our videos, articles and podcasts under different labels. 
First of all, and this is not going to surprise anyone, we will of course discuss communication and relationships. How do we express, how do we interact, build bonds and sustain partnerships with each other as people of today and tomorrow. But we will also do close-ups on the individual, thinking and platforms of self-expression, truth, opinions, disagreement and individual intellectual activity. We'll talk about higher education, creativity and canons. We will then also spend um, some time exploring the future of romantic love and sexuality as one of the most basic and immutable areas of life. It's also one with great plasticity that has shown deep and constant changes in terms of the needs, preferences and norms of humans. Not to mention how our urge to be liked, desired and satisfied seems to be a driving force behind technological innovation around the world. So we're surely in for seeing a lot of novelties there. But to move on to other topics currently in preparation, we'll also delve into questions around children, from how will we conceive them to how will we have them and raise them. I think a lot of ethical questions around technology and human autonomy become crystallised when you look at them from the angle of childhood and parenting. We'll also talk about health and convalescence, mental health as well as fashion and beauty, in general what wholesome will mean in the future and what trends we should prepare for. Then religion and identity will be something we will look into as an important bridge between our private and public selves, and an area with perhaps the most unknowns. What will we believe in the future and what groups will we feel we belong to? I think this is a very important topic. Private life exists within a wider context of public affairs, economics, history, climate, war and peace, abundance or scarcity. So we want to go further in exploring this embeddedness because people underestimate, for example, the importance of political affiliation and disagreement within families, romantic relationships and neighbourhoods. Uh, we will look at how political opinions will be built and discussed in the future, how people will choose what causes to join, how will they spread ideas and discern what sources to trust, and likely changes in how our political system will work and what this means for the individual. Morality and desired behaviours will also be in focus to some degree. Where people will learn what's right and wrong, who will enforce order, how politeness will evolve, as it always does, and what penalties and other incentives will be faced for smaller or more serious transgressions. A last category, quite fittingly, will be about dying and being remembered in the upcoming era of absolute technology. At what age and in what surroundings will we be dying? Will we be dying at all? And all the many questions around this. I thought we could now briefly discuss our team mission statements, quote-unquote, if you guys are on board. I find it quite interesting how we're kind of looking into a near future with a huge shift about how technology reacts to us, right? So we have had for quite a while technology that kind of followed our behavior and to some degree influenced uh, this. I mean, there's a lot of research into this, but... We've up to this point, we've never had technology that has a distinct opinion about us. And I find it very interesting how people have, since the beginning of uh, science fiction, since Frankenstein's monster, um, have used uh, kind of imaginary technological creations to re-examine their own humanity through the eyes of this creature, whether it's E.T. or um, or Wally, we like to look at ourselves through the eyes of the other, the outsider. But that's a bit of a different thing when 
when it's real, right? Um, and when it's opinion forming, maybe beyond our understanding. What do you think about this? Is this something that you are worried about? I, I like that you brought up Frankenstein, actually, uh, Frankenstein's monster, because I think this is part of the point for me. Um, the idea of the automated, the autonomous being, uh, the imitation human being, goes back so much further than even the first mention of the word robot, which is, I think, uh, Rossum's Universal Robots play. Uh, it was in the 1900s, I believe. We, you can actually trace it further back. You can go, you know, at a stretch, you could go as far back as Talos in Greek mythology, which was a bronze statue that was animated. The concept of something that behaves autonomously um, like a human, like a pseudo-human, is really, really historical and kind of has a lot of uh, a red thread all the way through uh, human fascination with itself. So I think there's an element of sort of narcissism. We, we want to be examined through mm. different eyes. We love being told stuff about ourselves that we didn't know before. Um, but we're frightened because the thing that does that might have its own thoughts about us, which we can't control, we can't influence. Um, and I find that interesting rather than worrying. But we do have some information about how our biases are replicated uh, throughout these autonomous systems. Um, so we do know that even if we will have a conscious entity that might go beyond our biases, it's probably going to be our biases uh, that will be its starting point. Um, and I do know that a lot of people in the in in the industry are quite concerned about this. But let's move a little bit to to private life. Obviously, Ixi Labs is uh, focusing on personal spaces, personal lives. Uh, and I'm really curious. I know that this is something that you spend quite some time thinking about. How our private lives will also be populated by kind of embodied technology. So that's a really interesting question, and the word embodied really, really sticks with me again and again, uh, because I think that's, I mean, that's the difference between um, the OS in Her, the film Her, uh, and for example, Ava in Ex Machina. Like, you have, one is terrifying because it can walk around and behave like a human. Uh, whereas if you have something quite contained like an OS, it's like you have the semblance of all the nice things about human interaction, somebody to converse to, someone to share feelings with, but without this kind of really physical presence. I mean, even talking um, with anybody who works in an office, I think most people still prefer face-to-face -face conversations over email, Slack, uh, Google Hangouts, Gmail. You know, we all kind of prefer the face-to-face. -face. Um, so it would be interesting when robots kind of intrude into that territory. I mean. I'm fascinated in my kind of in my art practice um, by the idea of emotional context. So the work I've done in the past has been about genetics, um, but not the science of genetics, more how do people feel about what they find out about themselves? How does that resonate with them? What does that do to them in mm. terms of how they experience themselves and reality in light of new information? Um, and I think that's something that will easily apply in AI as well. Like, what will that do to people's perceptions of themselves? Mm. How will I feel if I'm dating an AI? Will I, will, you know, will other humans sort of go, you're desperate or will they go you're advanced like right. what is going to be the response to that from other human beings what is going to be the emotional context and how will it change the behavior of other humans i mean one of the interesting things to me about this whole idea around sex robots or robot companions is that i mean humans naturally compete with each other for mm. the goodies in life and when, you know, these advanced beings uh, might at some point join the race, how will that, and probably this is Peter's area, how will that change the incentives? I mean, 
I mean, this is just an illustration, but imagine a Tinder in the future where you have robot guys and real guys as well. And how will the photos and bios of the guys on Tinder change when they know that 50% or maybe 90% because there is an unlimited supply of robots and unlimited supply of people or the other way around, will they be emphasizing different qualities of themselves? Will their photo be different? When it comes to AI competing uh, against humans as uh, babysitters, companions, uh, programmers, doctors, how, how will that shift um, our incentives and, and be- behavior? That would be interesting. And I wonder whether, let's say I'm a guy on Tinder and I want to emphasize, do I want to, do I want the other party to believe that I am a, I'm not a robot or, or that I am a robot? Well, maybe at this point we would like to emphasize that, I, that we are not robots. But who knows what, what, whether it will change in the future. You mean like veganism? Like there are people who only eat homegrown tomatoes, for example, and they emphasize the, 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 the purism of that. Do you think we will have such preferences? Like I have a, a human babysitter. I, I think that people still prefer to work, uh, as Crystal said, we, we still prefer the face-to-face kind of uh, way of conversation. We prefer, for example, let's uh, consider self-service checkouts. So there are many people who don't like it. Uh, and I, I don't understand those people because I love it. I, I always I always use self-service checkout and I get a huge, huge amount of consumer surplus out of it because there are many people who don't uh, stand in line in front of me. They are standing the line uh, in front of the human cashier. And I prefer, sometimes I prefer to work with robots, but most people are not like that. What do you think will be the first tipping point where the average person, well, they will first, you know, understand like, okay, something has shifted. I remember on Twitter, there was this um, viral tweet about somebody receiving a text message from their Roomba that they were stuck in a in a corner and this kind of help text came like help I'm Roomba and I'm stuck in the corner and it was really sweet but I think that's just the start of something Um, and I'm wondering when it comes to the scarier embodied um, AI what what is going to be the first sign? I can't answer the what is going to be the first sign but I have two thoughts on what is the key bits of this that we can think about. Um, I think on the one side, you have the voice stuff, the Google Assistant being able to book a hair appointment. That's, you know, believably human in terms of behavior, in terms of sort of audio outcomes. And then on the other side, you have the issue of the embodiment. And you've got companies like Realbotics, uh, the Real Doll company, making these, you know, synthetic human being bodies <laughs> that, you know, warm up when you caress them uh, and moan pleasurably (laughs) when you stimulate them Um, and they're kind of a bit more uncanny value so they're a bit further behind in my eyes than say google duplexes so far like because they don't move like a human so it's the body that makes us really worried i think because there is the i mean when it comes to people's own uh, relationships with each other there is a very strong level of physicality in how for example, how do you pick what kind of behavior to choose with somebody? I mean, if it's a child, if it's a woman, if it's a, a, a grown man, you know, you you have a different sense of physical limits, not just in terms of in terms of attraction, in terms of any threat of violence, in terms of how should you sit, what 
voice to choose. So, so we know that we react extremely strongly. I don't have the statistics, but probably... Well, here's, here's a kind of living example. You know, we've all seen that mad person walking down the street who's clearly hearing voices and sort of talking to them out loud. Oh, the guy that we just passed in the shortage. <laughs> that guy and any other yeah, guy. Yeah, we just... Or any other yeah, lady. this is um, London. But you, you, everybody sees this, you know, the mad person talking to themselves <laughs> sure. in the street. We're not really concerned with them. We let them get on with their thing. Imagine if all the voices in their head were like physical forms walking around. Then we'd be freaked out. Give a voice a body, and for some reason it's suddenly a lot more terrifying because it has the potential, as you said, to sort of touch us, to interact with us, to physically break into our spaces. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think when it comes to bodies, on the one hand, we, we have high expectations. On the, on the other hand, we are kind of afraid that it, it will turn out too realistic. So there's this, double, this double-edged sword, really. Absolutely. Um, I thought, um, because we are already talking about incentives, and that's Peter's, um, one of your main focus points, and something that you emphasize in your mission statement. People, people like to forget how many different things, uh, things like person, family, love, freedom, wealth, comfort, um, or, or happiness have come to mean throughout, you know, the long and, and <laughs> quite adventurous history of humanity. Um, so our concepts of these will likely change some more soon, and, and we can be quite sure in um, changes in technology of obviously accelerating this process. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to hear your take on this. Um, you're an applied economist studying decision-making and, and behavior in a game theory framework. Um, you're an expert in how people's decision-making changes as their environment changes how our interactions and the changes in our interactions influence our actions. Uh, and Peter, you're, you're also well-versed in, in, in human trade-offs, right? I mean, we, we, we all talk about trade-offs, but you actually know what they mean. Do you mind kind of just uh, explaining this a little bit and, and where, where is your angle on the ICSI Labs thing and where is your angle on investigating the future of private life? Uh, sure. Well, I think that our private lives has already changed a lot. See, I mean, in the past, I don't know, 100 years or 50 years, I mean, we used to live in, in families which are vastly different from today's families. And we kind of adopted to, to new ways of, of living and living together. We do react to changing constraints. So one, one thing that has changed, for example, is contraception pills, for example, that has changed sexual morse behavior and labor market choices labor market choices of women primarily so if you if you think about all those changes that how they have changed human behavior humans are kind of all right in, when it comes to reacting to their changing circumstances we do respond to incentives so when the cost of something goes up we do less of it when the benefit goes up we go we do more of it we don't always realize that our constraints has cha- have changed but we, we still react to them. Can you give an example? I mean, you're mentioning contraceptive pills, uh, but we do have some information about how people are less sexually active today, thanks to, I would imagine, Netflix. Um, <laughs> so can you give an example of, um, of a constraint or an incentive changing or some, the price of something going up that we don't notice? Because I, I see that as, as a little bit of a danger or something where people are not making clear decisions because they don't have the information. I think that people do do make clear decisions, but in a way, sometimes our constraints are changing, but we don't they don't recognize those changes, but we still react to those changes. It's still a real reaction. It's a, it's a real decision, but sometimes we just don't 
consciously realize that, that we have made a decision or that we have decided differently than than last time or, or, or previous generations. So, for example, you mentioned uh, the demand for sex and smartphones and Netflix and so on. So Netflix, for example, it has uh, increased the value of our, our free time, our leisure time quite a lot. So we have more alternatives to choose from when it comes to our leisure time. And so maybe... It means that when you have more alternatives like Netflix, like smartphones, like lots of things, that you're going to have less sex, for example. Because basically the opportunity cost of having sex have gone up. But people, they don't consciously think that true, right? That my, my opportunity cost of sex has gone up because I can watch Netflix or I can play with my smartphone and, and, and so on. I remember when Sandy Hurricane happened in the New York area a couple of years ago, there was no internet and electricity for two nights, I think. And so people couldn't use the internet and couldn't do a lot of things that they normally do. And I think nine months later, the birth rates went way up because there was literally nothing else to do. <laughs> and I mean, it's funny and we laugh at it, but at the same time, it's quite sad, isn't it? Like you're in a relationship and your partner is making a decision between you and some TV series on Netflix that they won't even remember uh, in a couple of months, but then they just feel that they have to oh, even and watch worse, 15 if, episodes. If I would it. rather my, my, my partner chose to watch Breaking Bad than have sex with me in some cases, because it's that good. It's like I Okay, but Breaking Bad, okay, so that's like a force majeure situation. <laughs> but thankfully, people don't think about that, so they don't consciously think that true. They just, they just do it, they just, they just react to those incentives. And that's in some ways scary because when it comes to AI, for example, like robots, those new kind of opportunities come in and your opportunity set has increased because you can have robots doing all sorts of stuff. And you react to that and, and you don't necessarily think that through how, how you chose, choose differently than previous times. So it's in a way scary too because it means that when you think about how robots are changing people's lives, Sometimes you have to dig a bit deeper, so you have to kind of monitor people's behavior in a way that it's not obvious that people behave differently than previously. But after a while, you, you just realize that people do behave differently and that it does have a connection with, for example, robots. So again, the contraceptive pill, it has demonstrably changed, for example, women's labor market choices. A lot more women... Uh, started to work uh, full-time because of the contraceptive pill. But, of course, they didn't necessarily think that true. People, when they debated the merits of allowing contraceptives, they didn't necessarily realize that, that the potential consequences of that. And maybe, thank God, they, they didn't. But, 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 but still, it's something that there are these, well, changes that you might not realize that, that, that are happening. But after a while, you realize that those changes were have been happening all, all the time. I think I have two questions. I think, first of all, just as a comment, I think if we're sticking with the uh, contraceptive pill example, I think women knew very well what the consequences will be, and they wanted it. So they wanted to have sexual freedom, and they wanted to be more active in the labor market, and suddenly to have more pleasurable uh, private time in their lives. I think what we or, or at the time was miscalculated, was what an immense um, effect this would have on society at a macro level. So I think on the, the individual, in a way, made the good choice. 
Uh, but it, obviously, as a society, we have to deal with a lot of side effects of that. And we, we don't only talk um, about the, the contraceptive pill as a separate phenomenon. It was a part of countless uh, profound changes in society and technology in the past uh, uh, 50 or 60 years, right? But I have a question about um, what, what you mentioned, AI changing our incentives. So first of all, uh, I would like us to step back a little bit um, from robots and just think about AI as we currently use it and how we will be using it in the next couple of years um, or decade. Um, and into this, I would like to include AR and VR, which I think will be very important in kind of calming us down in not necessarily a constructive way, kind of emphasizing the Netflix effect and and um, the escapades into into fake realities. And, and, and whether you think, Peter, that people should or should not be woken up from this matrix type of thing. You mentioned that it's actually a good thing that people are not necessarily always aware of the choices that they are making because it would be too overwhelming or I don't know. Um, I'm more, as you guys know, I'm more of a transparency advocate. So I think people should be at least given the option to be honest to themselves about what they're doing. And I do see a lot of things happening um, in terms of uh, how Instagram, Google or Facebook are wording their terms and services. So they are trying to give people more feedback about uh, how they behave. Well, let's see what happens. So the the second question, the first question would be, should we give people more information and if so, how? And the second would be about the personal space. So how is AI changing already um, our personal lives, if at all? And um, and what do you guys think about it? I think there is a trade-off here because one of our examples was that let's say I, at the margin, right, not on average, but at the margin, I prefer a Netflix episode to sex. Maybe it's better for me not to think much about that. Maybe that's not another thing that you should discuss at the dinner table. Depends on the dinner table. It, but, it, I, I mean, it depends on, on what your your partner or family member or, or friend or whatever. So, so that's one part of the trade, one side of the trade-off. The other side is that because of the, these changes are kind of these changes are creeping into your life so sometimes you, you should kind of think that through right? what am I doing differently because I, I have these new alternatives I don't have a definitive answer to that how much you should think about that we have a lot of questions uh, I'm sure <laughs> you guys have a lot of questions too luckily there's a lot of ways for you to get involved with our work if you're interested in private life in the time of AI you can email us your ideas or propose a topic or you can follow us on Twitter and also sign up for our newsletter or support us on Patreon. You can email us at ixilabs at gmail.com. We're very excited to embark on this journey and hope to hear from you soon. Um, I would just like to um, conclude. Uh, this is from, from my mission statement, and, and I think that kind of sums up um, a lot of things that we will be trying to figure out. The future of private life will necessarily entail a fundamental renegotiation of the extent to which we need emotionally allowing, physically comfortable, information-restricted, and individually controlled private spaces that consist of a limited number of participants, and how to preserve these within ever-shifting public arenas that seem to deny any benefit of these 